And welcome back. This is Ambushed Podcast. This one is titled Tornadoes, Earthquakes, and Firestorms. And if you have a creative mind, you might know exactly what we're going to be talking about. Because I have pulled aside a bewildering ancient story to talk about for this episode that involves tornadoes, earthquakes, and firestorms. But before we get into it, my name is John, and I was trained as a pastor, and this is one of the ways I'm trying to do something good with that education. And for those of you that are listening, hopefully you find this positive and helpful and maybe even engaging in a different way, because even though I was raised in the Christian tradition, I really think that there is some perennial and timeless wisdom, honestly, that can be found in the Bible that it doesn't really matter your background. These are stories for anyone. And uh, I hope that you find something that's of worthwhile to listen to in this one, because if you don't find something worthwhile, then what on earth are you listening for? Because, I don't know, we, we all got to do things that will stretch us and cause us to grow and to I guess expose ourselves to things that will cause us to be challenged, to things that will confront us in a good way. And so what we have here is a passage that I have from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, which we're going to read through, and then I'm going to break it down, and then we'll see what happens after that. But um, I need to say that there are some people outside that are doing some lawn mowing, And if they happen to get a little too close, it might get a little loud. But I hope you don't mind. All that means is that that this is a humble production that's not in a normal sound room. Instead, it's in my side office. And uh, I've got the windows wide open because it's gorgeous out. So let's get into it. This is uh, from, like I said, the Hebrew Scriptures. But this is a wild, wild story that's got humor in it, but then it also has something very deep to say about the human experience. And uh, we're going to draw from that, but we've got to also realize that uh, the Hebrew Old Testament is often understood uh, of as being in three different parts. The Torah, which is the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures, Then we have the Nevi'im, which are the writings of the prophets. And then we also have the wisdom literature, the Ketuvim, as it's said in Hebrew. So we've got the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, and that together comprises what is called the Tanakh. This story, even though it's history, it's got wisdom in it. And in fact, most of these ancient stories have got some sort of timeless wisdom. And often we have this perspective when we read the Old Testament that we think that these stories are old or archaic or they're behind the times. But actually, these stories, they touch on something deep within us. And they have something profound and enigmatic to say to us today. And so if you read it at one level, that's totally fine. But you can also go 
a few levels deeper and then all of a sudden anyone who reads this can maybe resonate. So let me start with um, a quick question. Yes or no, have you ever had uh, difficulty, quote unquote, hearing from God? Now that can mean a whole number of things from different people. God might even be a metaphysical mystery to you, and that's fine. It may be, for some of you, God is the surest thing in the entire universe. Either way, yes or no, have you ever had difficulty hearing from something larger than yourself, from the infinite, from something that's timeless, from the thing that binds all of us together? If you have, then this is all about you. So we're going to read from 1 Kings 19. I'm going to read through it. I'm going to pause at a few points just to say a few things. And then we're going to break it down. Because like I said earlier, there are always two levels that you can read these Hebrew stories to. There's the surface level. And then there's the deeper meaning, which is where the real timeless or perennial wisdom is at. So here we go. This is uh, 1 Kings 19, and it starts at 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are coming to kill me too. Pause. This means everything is in shambles. At this point, Elijah is the last in the entire lineage of all the prophets. And so at this point, the Hebrew religion is about to die with him because everyone that he was ever a part of or trying to lead in conversations of what is holy These people have, quote, rejected the covenant, the sacred promises. They have torn down the altar. They've destroyed the sanctuaries. And three, they've killed off all the other prophets. And now he is the last one. Literally, the religion is about to be wiped off the face of the earth because no one else cares about it except for him. And so here he is running and hiding. Let's keep going. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled back his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he's been asked that question twice now. And he replied, 
I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. If you've noticed, it's the exact same uh, interaction. Same question, same answer. The only thing that's different is the location. Before he said it at the base of the mountain, and now he's saying this answer back to God on the mountain top. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mehalah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So what we have is a dramatic change. He went from, Elijah went from saying everything is ended to now hearing a call and maybe even a promise from the mountaintop that things are about to turn around. So in some sense, he went from, although there's no emotion listed here, he went from complete despair and frustration to all of a sudden being completely perplexed, maybe, confused, possibly hopeful, but everything's about to shift. And guess what? There's 7,000 who are still faithful. Yes, there's a shift that happens there. But what I'm interested in is the tornado, the earthquake, and the firestorm. And so we're going to talk about that. Because there's something enigmatic, there's something rabbinic, and the rabbis back in the day were brilliant at telling these stories in such a way that they provoked us and caused us to have questions and reactions and bewilderment. And so we've got to ask what was going on. You see, Elijah is at this point, at the end of his rope. And maybe he went out to the desert to hear from God because it's a part of the tradition that if you ever want to hear from God, you have to run away from hurry and noise and crowds. And how better can you do that than to run off into the desert, which is what he does. He's out there hiding, hoping to hear from God. And I actually think there's something kind of funny in this because <laughs> the Lord tells him to go to the top of the mountain. And when he gets up there, the Lord asks him, what are you doing here? And I, I think there's an element where we have to stop and laugh because that is kind of funny. It's like, what do you mean what am I doing here? You just told me to come up this mountaintop. Are you kidding me? Why are you asking me what am I doing here? That You told me to come up here. And so there's, there's something maybe a little comical here that he's being asked twice. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And then comes the brilliant moment, though. 
with the tornadoes and the earthquakes and the firestorms, once those all passed by, a voice came on a whisper. And translations are a little different. They don't know quite what to say with the word whisper. It could be that the voice happened in the silence. But regardless, Elijah heard something. And so he went out to the mouth of the cave. And from there, that's when he heard this specific question. But that means in that whisper, Elijah heard something that even the scriptures themselves choose not to tell us what it said. Maybe it said, Elijah, come to the mouth of the cave, or just his name, Elijah. But regardless, that was something for only Elijah's ears to hear. What was said on the whisper or in the silence that made him go to the mouth of the cave? But here we go. We need to go rewind just a little bit. At this point, He's climbing the mountain, and everything is bad for Elijah. Everything's going to end with him, and he is at the end of his rope. Now, that's when the tornado happens. That's when the earthquake happens, and that's when there is a firestorm, which could be a lightning storm, but it says fire. We've got to pay attention to the fact that these disasters don't pass by quickly. That's a main point. But we think that the tornado and the earthquake and the firestorm happened as quickly as we read those sentences. But how quickly does a tornado really pass through a town? Maybe an earthquake lasts for a while, but its destruction happens for quite a bit. You've got to deal with the consequences. And then, of course, a a thunderstorm or firestorm, whatever that might be, that that probably passes just as quickly as the weather does. So these things happen slowly. But I think the brilliance of these passages is that we've got to understand them as somehow communicating a wisdom to us, maybe a proverb in some way. Because you can be a conservative or you can be a liberal and you can read this passage and you can either try to banter endlessly over whether or not the geological or or meteorological circumstances are possible to host a tornado and then an earthquake and then a firestorm all within rapid succession of one another in the middle of the desert. How quickly does that type of weather pattern happen? And so you can get stuck at the surface level and try to argue that those three things can happen immediately, or you could go the other side and just say that these things obviously will never happen, so therefore this story is completely made up and therefore untrue. Or, what if this 1 Kings 19 is so true that it almost needs to be like a, a tall tale in order for it to communicate something so grand to us. Because some things are so beautiful, some things are so true, that they can only be communicated in the form of poetry, or let's say song, or a tall tale, or legend, or... And I'm not even saying that any of those things mean that something's untrue. I actually mean that it's so true 
that it has to be communicated artistically, not necessarily matter-of-factly, if that makes sense. And so in today's culture, in post-enlightenment era, we often miss the point because we're looking for something other than the wisdom that it has to teach us. And we shoot ourselves in the foot when we do that. But here's a thought. And like I said, maybe this story is trying to communicate a proverb to us that we've got to figure out together on our own. Okay, so let's think about it. Everything is shattered. The whole Jewish religion looks like it's going to die with Elijah. Things are bad, right? And so he goes in the middle of the desert because he's fearful for his life. Meets God there. God tells him to tells him to go up to the top of the mountain. From the top of the mountain, he watches a tornado, an earthquake, and a firestorm. Now, is there a chance that this is trying to tell us something? That we need to, before we hear from God, before we can hear from the ground of our being, which is another phrase that people use to define God. Before we can hear from the ground of our being, we've got to give witness to tornadoes and earthquakes and firestorms. Because, let me say it this way, yes, you can say that there's always going to be meteorological occurrences that disrupt us. But let's be honest, At this point in his life, Elijah has got some tornadoes swirling and ripping him apart on the inside. He's just gone through some life experiences that have completely shaken the ground beneath him. And there could be fury, like a firestorm within him. And so Elijah is not only experiencing potentially external tornadoes, earthquakes, and firestorms, but he's got these things inside of him. And what makes us think that we will ever hear from the infinite, ever hear from God or the ground of our being, if we don't first give witness to the tornadoes and earthquakes and firestorms within us? Because it's only after he pays attention to these things and gives witness to them. And interestingly enough, the Greek word for witness means martyr. The onset of hope for Elijah only happens after he gives martyr or gives witness to the tornadoes, the earthquake, and the firestorm. So let me, let me say this. These disasters don't pass by quickly. But you know what? Maybe they have to be given witness before they can pass. And so what makes us think that we will ever hear from the divine if we do not first give witness to the calamities or the catastrophes that happen around us? I mean, there there very well could be calamities and catastrophes actively swirling in us, shattering us, and lighting us afire with fury. Those things could be happening within us. And so that's a great question. I mean, it, now we're getting into like rabbinic 
uh, reflection, but what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? You thought that you came here to run away, but maybe you came here to this mountaintop in order to confront, give witness, and be martyred by your own tornadoes, earthquakes, firestorms. Because it's possible that one of the reasons we don't often hear from the divine or God or the ground of our being from the blessed trinity that's referenced in the scripture, maybe the reason we don't hear is because we think God is in those tragedies, but maybe God's not in those tragedies, but instead God's waiting for the silence that happens after we give witness to those calamities and catastrophes. And so at the risk of making this like a cheesy analogy, here's the question. What are the calamities and catastrophes that you are avoiding giving witness to? Because the chance is hope may not come until after you give witness to those tornadoes, earthquakes, firestorms. And maybe, just maybe, after we give those things time and give witness to them and at least confess that they exist, then the voice will happen to us and tell us what to do next and where to go and that hope is there. The question at the front and on at the base of the mountain and at the top of the mountain is always going to be what are you doing here because at the base of the mountain Elijah was asked what are you doing here and he essentially says he's running away and then at the top of the mountain he's asked again but God actually says back to him it's it's time to go back You've got some work to do. You've got some things you need to achieve and get done that have nothing to do with running away, but instead running towards. Because the beginning of this story has Elijah running away. And then the end of this has got Elijah running with a purpose to go find Elisha, who's going to be his protege, his understudy, the next in line as a great prophet. We have here, you could say this is like a conversion moment, or at least this was like a tipping point that happens on the top of a mountain, which it's interesting. The mountain is always seen as the axis mundi, which is Latin for the center of the world. In all of the ancient literature, not just the biblical tradition, but in all of ancient literature, these geological formations, especially mountains, are seen as the place where the human and the divine connect easily. This is literally the center of the world for him because for Elijah, at least, this is where he met God. And so therefore, this is his axis mundi. So where is yours? Where is your axis mundi, your divine meeting place? that happens so easily for you. We call it, what's it called? Uh, liminal space, right? 
where the walls get very thin that separate what is sacred and what is not. Sometimes you're in places where the wall feels very thick and so sacred feels far away, but there's some places on earth that we also call thin spaces where the walls between what is sacred and what is not sacred are very thin. And Axis Mundi is just that. A mountaintop is just that, especially in the Old Testament. There's Sinai, there's here, there's Mount Horeb. I mean, all over the place. The mountaintop is where people meet God. But what's interesting is how this chapter says three times, God is not in this calamity. God is not in this calamity. God is not in this calamity either. But instead, God is in the calmness, not the calamity. And so maybe there's something that had to happen here because Elijah went to the runaway and then he went to the top of the mountain, maybe thinking that God is always in the calamities. But maybe God isn't. Maybe God is there patiently waiting, saying, Oh, what are you doing here? You're living a life of despair and fear and running away. But maybe that's not your life to live. Maybe the mission of God is that you stop being somebody that runs from and stops being somebody that denies the calamities outside or within yourself. And instead be one of those people, one of those very, very courageous people that announce or give witness or give name to the calamities and catastrophes of life, both within and without, but then return back to the world from your own axis mundi with a drivenness and a purpose to restore and reconcile and to heal and to build up again. There's already enough cynical people in the world that are derailed and have put their whole life on pause for years or even decades because they've been angry that God was in the calamities when he really wasn't. And so the world definitely doesn't need more cynics. And in fact, I've said this before, but there is a difference between the prophet and the cynic. Both of them, both of them offer critique. Both of them love to point out what's wrong in the world. However, the cynic does it with a futilism that says nothing is ever going to change. But the prophet is the one that does something quite brilliant, calls out the calamities and the catastrophes and then says, but this isn't the end. Cynics give critique that's fueled by despair. Prophets give critique that's fueled by hope. And so what we have here is at the front end of this story is Elijah being a cynic, but then he leaves again being a prophet again. In some sense, because when it's the darkest, that's when light gets born. And that's how the entire Hebrew scriptures start. That out of darkness came light. And so no prophet is ever allowed to look at the darkness and say, light can't be born here. 
Elijah had to be reminded of that because he thought his life was completely bleak and dismal, full of despair with zero hope. And yet he had to be reminded by God. No, there's still hope here. Light can be born from even these shadows. If only you're willing to stop running from these shadows, from these calamities, from these catastrophes, both within and without. And instead... Wait, because the voice of the divine always comes on the calmness, in the silence, in the whisper that beckons people forward so that they can then hear what is their next mission, what is their next purpose, what is the thing that they are being called to rebuild And that's your question as well. You see, we can read these passages, these Hebrew stories, at one level of analysis, which is asking whether or not these are historical or not. But you see, that is asking for one kind of truth. It's, It's asking true or false, yes or no, did this event happen? But a lot of the Hebrew scriptures are filled with a different kind of truth, a truth that maybe can only be said or spoken of in like I said before, tales or poetry or song. And maybe this is one of them. Where a man literally did run away. Where he literally did go to the top of his own axis mundi because he was full of despair and cynicism and then had to return fueled by hope again. Maybe... We need to read this story as though it's wisdom literature. And maybe the proverb that we're supposed to take from it, and this is my own personal interpretation. You can probably come up with your own personal proverb from this passage. But I would say it's this, for me. Do not think that you can hear from God if you don't first give witness to the calamities and the catastrophes of your own life. Do not think that you can make the easy shift from being a cynic to a prophet if you haven't learned how to outweigh the tornadoes and the earthquakes and the firestorms until you can learn how to sit in the silence and the calmness that can only happen after we let those things pass us by rather than us being caught up and swirled up in them. Elijah left because he was a cynic and ran into the desert. Completely angry and frustrated, full of despair, and then he came back full of hope, with a purpose and a prophet again. May you go and find your own Axis Mundi. And may you stop running from the calamities and catastrophes of your life and at bare minimum just give witness to them. And then maybe if you can give witness to them, then you can confront them. And if you can confront them, then maybe that means you'll be able to hear the voice of God again. Because God always is in the calmness, not necessarily the calamities. This has been ambushed 
thank you for listening. And uh, my goodness, may grace and peace be with you.